Hello and welcome to Sharp China. I'm Andrew Sharp, and you are listening to a free preview of today's episode. Um, well, and just as far as the definition of dictator, um, just out of curiosity, what would happen to a party member who is trying to whip up votes for a challenger to Xi at the twentieth Party Congress? Oh, they wouldn't be able to because you you would you would. That, that all the delegates are pre-screened, so that they're only gonna they're only gonna become delegates if they know they support. Um, uh-huh. um, but you know, there's supposedly intra-party democracy. You could theoretically vote against candidates. Um, the challenge, of course, is that from the Chinese perspective, you know, they talk about this idea of whole process democracy. They have intra-party democracy where they inside the party they can vote on things. Uh, that would be so their they, response they to are, the dictator they are, comment, right? Their whole presentation now publicly is that it's it's not a di- dictatorship. It's it's actually Xi Jinping was elected through this process. And so you you your question is a good one. And the short answer is there wouldn't be a challenge like that in terms of voting. But that's not how it, it's framed or presented domestically into the world. And so and so to call him a dictator is sort of goes to the fundamental to the heart of the facade or the presentation mm. they're making both domestically and externally. Yeah. Cause you can't, you can't be a dictator if you're elected from whole process democracy. And then of course the other dynamic going on and we saw it early. So the first time Biden said it this time again, I think it was tamped down is, you know, you, you, it's every party's members duty to, to protect the core, the core being Xi Jinping. And part of that is to of course, protect his dignity and to attack anyone who would threaten or insult him. Um, right. And, and so and so this is where I think you saw that the, a much more vocal reaction the first time Biden said at this time, though, I think they really were just trying to keep, keep things tamped down. Yep, that makes sense. Uh, the, the reason it strikes a chord is because there's definitely an element of truth to it. Um, that right. is but from an American per, but from American perspective, I mean, I think I think President Biden's I mean, his his perspective is certainly, you know, to most Americans, she is a dictator. There's, there's like, you can, well, you want to call him something else, but that, that whole process, as you said, it comes out of a distant, different system. It, from an American perspective, it looks like a dictator. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and when the first dictator incident happened over the summer, I, I believe what I said at the time was I, I worry about getting into the habit of not saying things that are true and avoiding yeah. the, the like explicit explanations of what's going on. I did a whole podcast with someone in the UK on this whole, the, the first round of comments and what, why the Chinese got so upset. You were cheating on Sharp China? Was that, yeah, what sorry. Podcast I just, was you, it? you know, you just, it was just, I don't know. I'm learning from Tashi, right? You I needed mean, some variety. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Multiple so, girlfriends for yeah. Tashi. <laughs> he's, he's, he was out with two today. He's snoring away over here on my couch. Um, no, great. it was just, it was, uh, I think it was at the, the SOAS. They, um, so they did a, they have a regular podcast on China and they wanted to have a discussion about the dictator comment and why the Chinese were so upset. And so I will put a link in the show notes to it. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, yeah, well, it, it was a, a funny coda to a day or two of nonstop Biden Xi optimism. Um, but speaking of politics and leadership, the Taiwan situation, we've made a couple different references to it earlier in the show. Um, so last week we talked about with Ben the idea that the TPP and the KMT in Taiwan were going to have a joint ticket that would challenge William Lai, the presidential candidate on the DPP side, and um, potentially give the the opposition a chance to actually win and beat the DPP 
And Beijing is very much concerned about another DPP win. And if the DPP do, in fact, win the presidential election, there could be consequences. So the idea of the joint ticket was pretty momentous news a week ago. And lo and behold, four or five days later, it seems to have fallen apart. So Lev Nachman on Twitter says the Coho joint ticket is officially off. Co will go back to running for president on behalf of the TPP as a third party candidate. We are back to a three to four candidate presidential race. Lai is so relieved right now. Um, what do you make of this news and its potential implications in Beijing and beyond? Well, so it was a clown show with much higher stakes than the open AI clown show over the weekend. No kidding. Um, no, I think, you know, there was, there, it, it, it's, it sounds like there was, um, uh, Co realized that he effectively agreed to a, a deal that was maybe rigged in favor of the KNT candidate and had buyer's remorse. Mm. Um, and and so no, this is this goes back to my the comment at the beginning of this podcast where, and you know, of course, I wrote a I wrote up in my newsletter on Wednesday last Wednesday, I wrote about how maybe you know that this between the the U.S. meeting, the U.S.C. meeting, the Biden she meeting, sorry, and this Taiwan candidate deal that maybe this would be for the next couple of months, investors would suddenly be much more bullish on China because it looked like near term, some of the geopolitical pressures would abate. Um, it, you know, every time I try and get optimistic, it just blows up in my face. <laughs> um, so I think, I think the Taiwan, the, the, the tensions around Taiwan and, and what the PRC may do between them and the election, um, I think are sort of back on the table because they are going to be very unhappy if William Lai, the DPP candidate, wins. And so mm-hmm. having Maing Zhou, the former president um, from the KMT, having having him, who is he's very friendly with the PRC side, he's recently in the PRC, um, it certainly looked to a lot of people in Taiwan, at least like Ma was actually doing this because it, 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 with the support of Beijing, um, Having this coalition campaign between the the two between Ko and Ho and would potentially give William Lai a real a real challenge in the election and potentially have a non DPP candidate win the presidency. Um, that looks less likely now. It looks looks much more likely that the DPP will continue to to um, control the presidency in Taiwan. That is something that the Chinese have been signaling for months now. Is very is is they're very unhappy with. Um, I think that if if William Lai does win, they're not going to wait uh, until his inauguration in May to mm. um, start messing around with certain agreements around business and trade. Um, the question, though, is what happens between now and the election in the in the early part? I think it's the 13th of January. Uh, what will the Chinese do? And, you know, if they start ramping up pressure, you know, another big exercise or another sort of what looks like a sort of a mock a practice blockade of the island or lots more flights around, uh, you know, around and close to Taiwan, um, that may actually help William Lai. And so it, but it, but it just raises again, what looked like it could have meant we were entering into a period of relative calm, even though it was never going to be really calm. I think that that relative calmness is now much less likely between now and the election than it was a week ago or five, five days ago. I mean, honestly, building. But I the think, outline, sorry, but I think they still have. I think, I think they still have twenty four or thirty six hours to work out a deal, and then if they don't work a deal, maybe they'll write each other letters saying they regret it and they want to get back together. I mean, you know, I'm, so I'm sorry, the story's I'm still, not I'm, over yet. The story's not over, and I'm just, I'm my my brain is on open AI. 
stupidity. <laughs> yeah, um, I was going to say, but, it sounds very familiar. Yes. But, but um, um, no, but, but honestly, I think it's not a, it's not a totally done deal, but certainly what looked more optimistic, at least from Beijing's perspective last Wednesday or last week, now looks like it's gone in the other direction. It's back to what they were worried about seven days ago. Yes. Well, and when you look at the news from the past week, um, as I was building the outline for today's show, this is the biggest story from the past week in terms of the next couple of months uh, of the U.S.-China relationship and the PRC's interactions in the Pacific and everything else. I mean, this is like a really big deal. And the only reason I didn't lead with it is because I imagine that we're going to continue monitoring the Taiwanese election for the next couple of months, and it's going to be a dominant topic on Sharp China. Um, but it is uh, unsettling, to say the least, to to think that, you know, the blockade exercises could be underway sometime in the next month. Or and, two. and I'm not saying I'm not I'm not saying they will. And I think that would be a mistake on Beijing's side, because I think it would actually no, um, and it, but I've read it reaction. elsewhere. I've, I've read no, other I'd, people say this could lead to a blockade in January and we should all be prepared for things to get much, much worse. Well, I think that, I think certainly some folks on Chinese side are very clearly saying that they're going to take measure, take actions as soon as he's elected. Um, that there's a, like a, almost a four month gap, I think, between the election and the um, his inauguration. But it, if it's William Lai, if it's DPP again, it's just it's all sort of one DPP presidency. So they're going to start doing things right away instead of waiting to see if he'll make any changes to the policies. I think mm-hmm. also, though, what will be interesting to see is how um, how Beijing tries to interfere in the election. It might have been more subtle if uh, this coalition candidacy were happening. Um, now it, they might see some more desperation because it, it's so much more tilted towards the DPP candidate if they're all – if there's these other – Right now, I think there's three candidates because the f- former Foxconn founder, Terry Goh, is also running. Um, right. And, you know, they're trying to get him out of the race by messing with Foxconn in China. Um, they don't have that kind of leverage over these two. So it's it's a, it's a just it makes things much more complicated than it looked like it might be a week ago. Although, again, I think some, a fair number of people in Taiwan are not surprised that their, their multi-day sort of coalition broke up. Uh, mm-hmm. It also, though, makes you wonder – how either one of these, you know, either Ho or Co, how they would handle negotiating with the with with Beijing if they can't even agree on this kind of deal. I mean, they they look like clowns. Yep. And, and, well, and in some is. ways, it's it's actually, you know, if this is sort of the, you know, the sort of how they approach big like life changing deals and the kind of lack of due diligence and lack of understanding they end into a deal. Um, what does that say about how they'd actually run Taiwan? Right. Well, and then on the DPP side, there was William Lai on Twitter who said, it is my great honor to announce that I've chosen B. Kim Xiao, a a warrior for democracy and one of Taiwan's most influential ambassadors as my running mate. Fueled by shared commitment, we pledge to build a brighter future for all. Together, we'll work toward a stronger Taiwan. Now, B. Kim, is, is, she was the envoy to the United States, the ambassador who's not I, I, technically an ambassador, I think correct? she still is or was until recently. That was just she, announced a couple hours ago. Um, yeah, she resigned, and then, and, yeah. She, okay, and Beijing does not like her because she's been an extremely effective at uh, working all sorts of constituents, constituencies in D.C. to start paying much more attention to Taiwan and the risks between the mainland and Taiwan. Um, right. And so they, the Chinese side, and I think they also um, see her if she's vice president now. I mean, certainly she would then um, 
again, if, if she becomes vice president, then she would then be the likely successor to William Lai. And it, it, I think from the Beijing perspective, this is the trends are all bad in terms of how that what, what that means for Taiwan politics and the possibility of some sort of a peaceful deal between Taiwan and the mainland. Yeah, well, and this goes back to what we were saying at the very beginning, where there are just ingrained structural issues that are going to make it very difficult to have any sort of stable equilibrium between the U.S. and China. Like Rupert Hammond, Rupert Hammond Chambers here, the president of the U.S. Taiwan Business Council, who has known Xiao since the 1990s, said she was a formidable politician and would add much needed diplomatic and security heft to Lai's ticket. Quote, B. Kim's relationships in D.C. will be invaluable to President Lai if he is elected. She's going to bring all of those relationships into his government, and he doesn't have those, he told Reuters. Like Lai, Xiao is despised by China, which has twice placed sanctions on her. Most oh, that's recently right. She's under sanctions. April, that's right. Saying she was, quote, an independence diehard. So it just gives people a sense of the way Beijing sees the DPP ticket right. here and why it might get increasingly contentious over the next couple of months. Right, so. and, and of course, again, we've talked about this before. I mean, the, the mainland side wants a resolution to the Taiwan issue. Um, I really don't think they sort of using force is their preferred option. Um, mm-hmm. But this, you know, again, having, having, I think from Beijing's perspective, this deal, this coalition deal falling apart, the DPP getting at least four more years of power, um, that changes again the dynamic where it looks like a political deal is is harder and harder to achieve, and so I think that th- this back to what we talked about at the beginning of this segment, you know, this idea that you know this might make investors a little more bullish on China because it looks like there's a sort of a lull in the tensions. Th- that's all gone. The tensions are going to be at least as high as they would have been a week ago, or if not even higher now, with the selection of of B. Kim Xiao as the vice president. So this is what you get, you know, a window of 24 to 48 hours of optimism. <laughs> and now here we are. Um, I just I got alert. I wrote I, I, pub, I wrote that piece and I was like, should I really publish this? Because every time I try and be optimistic, it blows up in my face. But sometimes you want to be optimistic, right? Yes. <laughs> it's and, a natural know, human like, impulse. It's okay. right. It's like, OK, let's let's like and then and that's like, oh, God, like it didn't even last a weekend. All right, and that is the end of the free preview. If you'd like to hear the rest of today's conversation and get access to full episodes of Sharp China each week, you can go to your show notes and subscribe to either Bill's newsletter, Cynicism, or the Stratechery Bundle, which includes several other podcasts from me and daily writing from my friend Ben Thompson. I'm an incredibly biased news consumer, so I think both are indispensable resources. But either way, Bill and I are going to be here every week talking all things China, and we would love to have you on board. So check out your show notes, subscribe, and we will talk to you soon. 